The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. Hi, this is Jeff Parker, creator of Meteor Man, and you're listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Man. Sort of, sort of break it, break it down like this. Broadcasting from beautiful downtown Toronto, Canada. I assume that's somewhere north of Omaha. It's my pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 224. We're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, September 16th. My name is Matt Baum. That's at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not fleeing to Canada, where everyone is nice and no one can match my kung fu skills, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. And I'm Joe Patrick, that's at JoePatrick116 on the Twitter, and when I'm not trying to explain to my co-host that the exchange rate is not as, quote, f***ing kick-ass as he thinks it is, I'm the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Who can do that math anyway? This week, you'll hear our reviews of Paybacks, number one, and Tokyo Ghost, number one. After that, we'll review ten more of this week's new comics, faster than Peyton Manning can throw a football with a bionic arm during the ludicrous speed round. Then... We'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll sit down with a depressed doomsday and try to cheer him up a little bit with some talk of next week's comics. And finally, the comic pushers are back slinging highly addictive comics to one lucky listener. But that is not all. We have a very special guest pusher named The Orca. And he's going to help you cash in on some of your comics, nerds. Sort of an anti-pusher, really. No, he just works the other side of the operation, that's all. We're serving it up hot shortly, but before you put on your bat bibs, let's all remember to cancel our DVR recordings of Gotham because that show sucks. And then we can talk about this week's big news. We got big news. If you only watch 24 episodes, it really starts to get mediocre. Yeah, that's what I heard. <laughs> The Hollywood rumor mill started churning early this week as several news sites reported that Christopher Nolan will be directing a live-action trilogy adapting Katsuhiro Otomo's classic manga series, Akira. Akira takes place in the post-apocalyptic city of Neo-Tokyo, where a teenage boy is exposed to a mysterious energy source and develops telekinetic powers that place him at the center of a conflict that may destroy the world. The report originated at denofgeek.us, who cited a source close to Warner Brothers. Are there international dens of geek? I guess so. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Writing that the studio was adapting the source material as three films instead of one, and that Nolan had recently met with an unnamed filmmaker previously attached to the project. Christopher Nolan's unrevealed next film is slated for July of 2017. Matt, could it? Or should it be Akira? I remember hearing about this a while ago and like Keanu Reeves was attached to it somehow and they were going to make it like a decidedly an American version of the story. People have been trying to make a live adaptation, a live action adaptation of Akira for literally years. Yeah, like 20 years. I feel like I've been hearing this. And right now, right now it's attached to um, Leonardo DiCaprio's production company. Okay. Not that he's going to be in it, but his production company is working on it. It just seems to me that Akira is a decidedly Japanese story and should stay as such. Don't Americanize Akira. 
You know what I mean? Because like step one, change the name if you're going to. It, 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 what the hell is Akira? <laughs> it doesn't mean anything to anyone, you know, in America. Well, Akira was a character's name, though. No, I get that. But I'm saying like he was a character's name, but he was also an idea. He was like this uh, kid that they uh, you know tested on and became this like super kid. Right. But you're going to have an, a, like a white kid named Akira as part of the show. I mean, what? That's just stupid. I'm saying if you're going to make this movie, then I want Asian actors. I want it set in Japan. I want it set in Neo Tokyo, not Neo New York or Neo Washington DC or some crap like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know that Neo New York just means new New York. Yes, I know. <laughs> I was making a joke. The point being, I don't want to see an Americanized version of Akira. I have no interest in it. I can agree with that, even though I don't have the context. I think the last time we heard that something was getting uh, split from one movie into three, it was The Hobbit. And people were pretty bent out of shape about that. Yeah. Because The Hobbit is a children's book that's 200 pages long. <laughs> um, but Akira is but a Akira, very long movie and it's based on, you know, the manga series. That and Akira the manga, like, don't don't just think Akira the movie. Right. Akira the cartoon was only adapted from a small portion of Akira the manga. Let's call it the anime, not the cartoon. Let's sound like we know what we're talking about. Sorry. <laughs> the anime cartoon. There you go. The anime cartoon. That's much better. <laughs> yeah. If they, I mean, like if they're going to do something like Scorsese did adapting Infernal Affairs into The Departed, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that could be sort of interesting, but they'd have to change a lot of stuff and it might barely resemble the product that people that loved, like me, remember. So I just... As of now, I'm saying it doesn't seem like a good idea, and I don't want it. I hope that it's given the same respect that Keanu Reeves gave 47 Ronin. I totally agree. <laughs> In comic news, DCU, that's Y-O-U, not you, has claimed its first victims. With the release of DC's December solicitations, it has been revealed that the publisher is canceling eight titles. Doomed, Lobo, The Omega Man, Gotham by Midnight, Justice League United, Batman 66, Sensation Comics, and Green Lantern, The Lost Army, will all ship their final issues in November or December. Newsarama later reported a clarification from DC that Doomed and Green Lantern, The Lost Army were both planned as six-issue miniseries. Uh-huh. However, neither title was classified as a mini when they were originally solicited. Of the eight canceled books, four of them represented the lowest-selling titles in the DC superhero line, Justice League United ranked a little higher on the sales charts, outperforming titles like Dr. Fate, Secret Six, Gotham Academy, and Midnighter. Joey, you're going to miss any of these titles, and is it maybe a good idea to get rid of some of them? Well, this same sort of thing happened when the New 52 launched. DC threw a lot of weird stuff at the wall to see what stuck. And the things that didn't work were quickly shuffled out in favor of new projects. Right. And I respect that on one level. However, when they launched the new, uh, the DCU initiative, a lot of these books, they were saying, we're going to guarantee at least a 12 issue run so that the writer can, and the artist can tell a complete story. And then even if it gets canceled, it's a nice standalone graphic novel sort of thing. Right. And the happy silver lining since we uh, first heard about this is that Omega Man has been uncanceled due to fan outcry. So DC has said, you know what? You're right. We promised 12 issues and you're going to get 12 issues at least of Omega Man. Right. It's so weird. So weird. 
And like, um, I still don't understand how that works. Lobo, Gotham by Midnight, Justice League United, and the digital first books, they were not part of the DCU right. promotion. So, you know what? They had their chance. That's fine. I have been enjoying Gotham by Midnight, and I even liked Green Lantern, The Lost Army. Uh, and Sensation Comics, I've heard, has been telling really great, iconic Wonder Woman stories in the same way that uh, Adventures of Superman did. But those digital first books in print, they only lasted about the same amount of time anyway, so and it's hard to get too bent out of shape about it. And they did not sell. They just oh no, didn't sell. Now, they might sell real well digitally, but in print... Yeah. Yeah, nothing. Nobody cares. And some of those other books... Like, I can't believe Dr. Fate isn't canceled. Yeah, because honestly, these sales numbers are awful. If you look at the top 300 actual comics of August, Dr. Fate, number three, checks in at 122. Okay? And that is behind of Loki, Agent of Asgard, and a reprint of Unbeatable Squirrel Girl, number eight. I mean, that's horrible. Yeah. Absolutely horrible. The Fade Out, number eight, <laughs> sold better. <laughs> Well, the fade out is a very popular book by very popular creators. No, it is, but still, it's it's a relatively smaller image, you know, image title that's not as big as some of the other ones. But I mean, some of this stuff it just couldn't stay alive. Unfortunately, people are not reading it, and it's sad. Like you hate to see good titles go, but it's also a business decision, and I get it. I'm glad that they're giving Omega Men a chance since they did say we're going to let them build a little bit here and see what happens. And Tom King is a very fresh, cool voice at DC. And I, I really want him to succeed there. And I really like Omega Men. But, I, you know, I also get it. Now, I'm worried about The Midnighter because I love that book so much. It's so great. And it's an excellent companion piece to Grayson. And I don't understand why people aren't reading both. <laughs> They're so tied together. Come on. <laughs> I'll tell you what, like... I am not at all sad about Doomed getting canceled. No. Or Lobo getting canceled. No. Those are fine. Get rid of them. You tried. They suck. Get rid of them. Yeah. Doomed number three checked in at 162, shipping 12,000, just over 12,000 issues. That's pathetic. They're trying to figure out the balance between what works what fans are going to respond to and what's going to make a profit. Well, and there was also a lot of discussion about. Did they market this correctly? Because when like the new DCU came out, it was huge. There were the USA Today stories. There was, you know, CNN mentioned it and stuff like that. And this new relaunch, DCYOU, really outside of some big solicitations and the regular comic websites, it seems like they were just kind of preaching to the choir. You know what I mean? Well, there's a there's a difference in newsworthiness between DC is going to make an effort to make their books more accessible to new readers and uh, inject some diversity. Right. On the one hand. And then on the other hand, DC is flushing 75 years of continuity down the toilet oh, starting course. from scratch. Of course, that's a slightly bigger story than, say, Prez. I get right. Finally, it's a widely held truth in the comics industry that orders for new titles drop drastically after the first issue. This, of course, is due to the fact that retailers have to order months in advance, and while they're usually okay with taking a chance on a first issue, no one wants to be stuck with unsold copies if a new title fails to capture the hearts of readers. Now Marvel Comics has announced a new initiative aimed at promoting new books after they've launched. The publisher is launching its 
issue number two promotional program promising retailers an extra push in terms of promotion and marketing to help diminish the post number one drop off in sales. Marvel is promising added publicity, web advertising and web skins, whatever that means, for all of the follow up issues, including a full page ad for the next installment at the back of each first issue. In their press release, Marvel sent out an example from the upcoming Invincible Iron Man number one, featuring a full page shot of the second issue's cover with the blurb. You want to know what happens next? Don't miss Invincible Iron Man number two. The new program will begin with the launch of all new, all different Marvel next month. Matt, this idea seems way overdue. It also seems a little too obvious. You know what I mean? Like uh, the retailer aspect. Yes. Absolutely, they should have been doing this for a long time. If you want to support titles and keep sales, it just makes sense to prop them up and make it easier for the retailer to make a decision on what to order. And like we just finished that DC story where we were saying these are really good stories that just didn't get propped up well enough and people either lost interest or forgot about them or spent all their money on Secret Wars tie-ins. I don't know. But right. yes, I do think it's a good idea and I think it's way overdue. The notion that second issues drop off in sales completely is decades old like literally decades yeah and symptomatic of the main problem with comic book sales like the really the main issue why do people like oh you always have to renumber it you know why because it gets really tough selling a number two issue is twice as hard as selling a number one and selling a number three issue is three times as hard and it like goes on and on and on playing the long game why are you promoting subsequent issues just as fiercely right it just it never made sense to me and so finally this is an idea a marketing idea i can really get behind That is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything we missed, hit us up on the THM forums, where we're taking pre-orders for the non-returnable two-headed nerd coffee mug, which comes with a 1 in 20 silver, a 1 in 50 gold, and a 1 in 100 platinum variant. I've just been told you can only drink out of the variants. The other ones have lead paint. But hey, throw them away. The variants are the ones that's going to be worth any money anyway, right? Every week, the number two and my number one, Joe Patrick posts the question of the week in the THN forums for you to flush down the toilet and discuss. Joey, what are we asking the listeners this week? That's disgusting. I, I thought at know. first it was a Commander Riker joke, but I see now that it wasn't. <laughs> this one is deep from the archives of the THN forums, by which I mean it's from about a year ago. Asked by forum user Molenweik? Sure. Mullen Mike. I think they still listen. They were active on the forums this week. Well, that's good. Nice to know they didn't die. The question is, who is your favorite fictional time traveler? Now, I know that all time travelers are fictional. Are they, Joe? I just, are they? I just, yeah. <laughs> I just mean that it doesn't have to come from comics necessarily. Okay. Okay. We're talking time travelers. Yeah. Until 5 p.m. Central Time this Friday, September 25th, to get us your answer. You can call and leave a message using Skype. Our handle's two-headed nerd, all one word. Or you can call the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And if you're feeling fancy, you can send an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. But whatever you do, guys, I can't stress it enough. Keep it two minutes or less. You don't want to be in the room with Matt when he has to make these cuts. It's brutal. It's true. 
I'll, and I'll he punch is your call merciless. in the face. I don't care. If you need more time than that, go to the THN web forums. You've got an infinite amount of time or space, space. or whatever. <laughs> time, time and or space. This is getting trippy. Then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast. It's review time on THN where Matt and I ruined two brand new comics birthday parties. Matt, sneeze out those candles and tell the kids about what you read. This week, I read and reviewed Tokyo Ghost, number one, from Image, written by Rick Remender. Rick Remender, because yell at me when I don't say it right, with art by Sean Murphy. Rick Reminder. I fell in love with Reminder's writing when I first picked up his sci-fi roller coaster, Fear Agent, back in 2005. The first thing that hit me was his pacing. It was lunacy. Each issue of Fear Agent was borderline schizophrenic in plot and action sequence. Flash forward 10 years and Remender has figured out a way to take the pace of his writing up a notch. Here we get the story of two constables, Led Dent and his partner and lover, Debbie Decay. The two live in a world where humanity is consumed by its addiction to the internet, drugs, gambling, cyber enhancements, and just about anything else you can think of. The real world has devolved into a flaming garbage pile while everyone stares at multiple blinking screens that float in front of their eyes. Led and Debbie have to complete one more job before they can leave all of this behind for the last country on Earth that isn't plugged in. Japan. Their target is a serial killer hacker that sees reality as a video game where he can possess the body of anyone with cerebral enhancements, including Dent, who has also succumbed to massive info addiction. Debbie, who's straight edge and stays away from the stuff altogether, desperately wants the man she loves back, and she's scared he's too far gone, but is holding on to the promise of Japan after this last job. As meth-fueled as Remder's extreme look at the near future gets, artist Sean Murphy matches the story with insanely beautiful art, and I say beautiful in the sense that he can make the disgusting, glowing corpse of America look amazing. (laughs) His designs on Led's motorcycle alone was very Akira-inspired and amazing. The sequences of Led and Debbie chasing down suspects through the filthy and sometimes even flaming streets, paired with panels of extreme violence as characters have their faces torn from their skulls. I gotta stop and and catch my breath just talking about this book. It is crazy. Fans of Judge Dredd and Martial Law will love the insanity of this comic, and Remender is quite possibly the scariest lunatic writing comics today. It took me two reads before I fell in love with this book, but I couldn't deny it. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I loved it too. I finished it, and the only thing I could think of in response was, man, that was something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you, I believe you texted me that. <laughs> uh, the art is gorgeous, of course. Sean Murphy is brilliant. And this is full of big ideas. It's it's like it's like a weird smash up between Blade Runner and Man Max. I'm going to guess you've never seen Blade Runner. I've seen Blade Runner. OK, good. <laughs> well, but only recently, <laughs> of course. And yeah, so this kind of future dystopian, you know, everybody's just kind of gone off the deep end murder in the streets you know, the internet has taken over everyone's entire lives. Yeah, it's, it's like it's infotainment a, to the extreme. The first yeah, I mean, it's idiocracy the, plus extreme violence. Yeah, more or less. <laughs> I thought it was really great. It really was. Joe Patrick, what did you review this week? 
My pick this week was The Paybacks, number one from Dark Horse, written by Donnie Cates and Elliot Rahal, with art by Jeff Shaw. Invisible jets, suits of armor, big, ridiculous caves filled with toys. Let's face it, being a superhero is expensive. Sometimes heroes take out loans to pay for their super stuff, and when they can't pay those loans off, they get a visit from the world's first and best super repo team, The Paybacks. As I mentioned last week, Matt and I were both huge fans of this creative team's last book, Buzzkill. Cates and Rahal use the returning character, Dr. Black, which is (laughs) B-L-A-Q-K, to plant this series firmly in the Buzzkill universe. Maybe. Black may or may not be aware of his existence as a comic book character and had previously demonstrated an ability to teleport between continuities. Wherever it takes place, it's a fun callback that links these creators work together. But where Buzzkill was a darkly funny exploration of addiction through the lens of superheroes, the payback so far seems like nothing more than a hilarious action romp, which is absolutely fine with me. That was good. Real good. The creators waste no time introducing us to the team. Emery Reigns, team leader. Blood Pouch. (laughs) <laughs> a 90s era Shatterstar throwback. Ski Squatch. A Sasquatch on skis. <laughs> the Soviet Nunchuck. Russian Strongman. I love that he's a Nunchuck. <laughs> like, what? <Yeah. laughs> Miss Adventure. Scrappy leader of the Paybacks beta team. And the mysterious driver, who does not look like Ryan Gosling, by the way. Not at all. The group arrives to repossess the gear of the Night Knight. And his unicorn partner, Nightmare. You should say that's N-I-G-H-T-K-N-I-G-H-T. <laughs> right. <laughs> and my favorite thing about Night Knight and Nightmare is the Night Knight does not ride the horse. It just They're <laughs> they, partners. They, they just run around together. <laughs> he doesn't own Nightmare. They're partners. Yeah, they're just buddies. Meanwhile, things are going bad for Misadventure and the beta team, leading to the discovery that will propel the series forward. From start to finish, Cates and Rahal fill the issue with hilarious moments like Night Night and Nightmare's tearful goodbye. Oh. And Blood Pouch teaching the Soviet nunchuck action movie quotes because he can't speak English. Some motherfuckers <laughs> always trying to ice skate uphill. <laughs> but between jokes, there are some really compelling mysteries. Who's Mr. Pierce, the team's employer? And what is the deal with the driver? And who killed the beta team's target? The driver. What's the deal with the van? <laughs> it's not a van. That's what that's all he keeps saying. It's not a van. I told you it's not a van. <laughs> Jeff Schott's art is stellar. Crazy camera angles, impressive facial expressions, and character designs that came right out of the 90s. The close-up panels do tend to lack backgrounds, but the wider environmental shots are packed full of detail. You can tell Shaw's style draws a lot of inspiration from artists like Sean Murphy and Raphael Albuquerque and the subdued colors by Lauren Affey bring life to the art without being oversaturated and distracting. The Paybacks number one is an absolute blast. Kate's Rahal and Shaw are quickly becoming one of my favorite creative teams. This gets a definite buy it from me. Yeah, this is just stupid creative, a ton of fun. And it pokes a lot of fun at several different comic tropes, sometimes all in one panel. This was smart, really well drawn. I've got to give it a huge buy it, too. I loved it. 
Yeah, again, like like we talked about last week, I I am a sucker for a comic that can take those classic superhero cliches and find a fun way to look at them. Yeah, absolutely. And this does that. So that is a double buy it for both the Paybacks number one and for Tokyo Ghost number one. As always, we want to know what you repo peeps and internet addicts thought of these comics. So jump on your future cycles and run us down with your opinions at the THN forums by clicking the forum button at tuitednerd.com. NFL and fantasy fans everywhere were shocked last week as Peyton Manning posted one of his lowest scoring performances of his career. Ruining my entire fantasy weekend. Peyton's fantasy owners, like myself, were in a panic. And when the news hit that he may have lost strength in his throwing arm, some of us gave up hope completely. But worry not. Joey and I have sources in the cybernetics field that revealed to us that after last Sunday's game, Peyton purchased a deathlock arm and had it surgically grafted to his arm by AIM scientists before this Thursday's contest versus the Chiefs. Now... We invite you to join us in our private skybox at Arrowheaded Stadium, where we watch the cybernetically enhanced Manning throw some of the most amazingly accurate and fast passes fans have ever seen, while we review 10 more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round. Ludicrous Speed! Go! Captain America White, number one from Marvel. Writer Jeff Loeb and artist Tim Sale continue their color-themed Marvel stories in the spirit of Hulk Gray, Daredevil Yellow, and Spider-Man Blue. Although, I think it has been about, like, 12 years since we saw one of those, right? Yeah, this book was announced a decade ago, and a Zero issue came out and nothing else. Yeah, long time ago. But it's about damn time, and it's a great flashback story of Cap in World War II with his then-sidekick Bucky, and it's just perfectly damn beautiful. Now, I don't know if Marvel is going back to Teenage Bucky because they had already started this story, whoever, 10, 11, 12 years ago, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe with an older Bucky didn't exist. Regardless, I liked it. I'm giving this a huge buy it. String Divers, number two from IDW. I was pretty hard on String Divers, number one, but I gave it a second chance. I still don't get it. It looks pretty enough, but I'm finding it hard to care about the story or the characters Especially when it seems like the whole exercise is a way to capitalize on a germ of an idea that Ashley Wood doodled in a notebook one day. What if the Micronauts wore tracksuits? That's exactly what you said about the first one. <laughs> I know. Maybe I'm a jerk, but there's nothing to latch onto here except some pretty art. I'm giving it a leave it. I still like it. I'm giving it a skim it. Ugh, no. Pointless. Mixtape number one from Space Goat. Space Goat seems to be turning into the newest little indie comic publisher that could. Mixtape takes place in the 90s and speaks directly to old music nerds like myself. Complete with scenes and introduce each character by what they listen to. It's like, Stacy, she's into the Smiths and the Pixies. <laughs> this wasn't cloying or overdone, though. It was really sweet and believable and very well written. And the references here took me back. But come on. They have no metal friends. Really? Come on. Buy it. I thought it was good. D4, number two, number one. <laughs> From IDW. Did you read Dave, volume one by Ryan Ferrier and Valentine Ramon? No. Then stop what you're doing and go check it out. Then pick up the first issue of this new volume. I'm trying to record a podcast here. So. <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much about the plot, but trust me when I say that this is one of the funniest comics on the stands featuring a foul-mouthed robot 
super soldier that uses some of the most inventive swears I've ever read. Okay. I love this book. You will too. Buy it. Awake, number one, from Action Lab. Artist Brian Hess gives a Don Bluth-esque performance here. And for those of you under 30, Don Bluth is one of the last animators that worked outside the Disney studios and made such classics as The Secret of Nim. Very talented. All dogs go to heaven. Rock-a-doodle. We could go on. The story here wasn't quite as magical, unfortunately. There's some kind of Avatar The Last Airbender thing going on, but no explanation whatsoever. Girl falls to a planet that may or may not be Earth, has tattoos on her face, hangs out with a talking giant cat thing, a little cat thing, befriends her, go. (laughs) I had no idea what was happening. This left me confused to say the least, and it left me wondering if I missed like an entire chapter before this or something. Really pretty art. That's the only reason I can give it a skim. Constantine the Hellblazer, number four from DC. There's a lot to like about this relaunched attempt to fold Constantine into the DC universe, but no matter how much I read or what creators are involved, something just feels off about it. The talent of Ming Doyle, James Tinney in the fourth, Chris Visions, and Vanessa Del Rey is nothing to sneeze at, but there's something missing. He's still John Constantine, a selfish, destructive, smoking, drinking asshole magician, but the whole exercise just feels toothless. And it's not scary at all. Yeah, I'm with you. It's the the terror, the horror is missing from the book. I'm giving it a skim it because the creators really are pouring their hearts into the book. And if you never read the original Hellblazer, you might really enjoy it. But I think old fans of the character will still feel a little let down. Yeah, I'm with you. Agent Carter, S.H.I.E.L.D. 50th Anniversary, number one from Marvel. The names Imonen and Ellis appear on the cover here, but they don't belong to the creators you think. Catherine Imonen and Rich Ellis tell a delightfully funny story of Agent Peggy Carter working with the Asgardian Lady Sif in S.H.I.E.L.D.'s early days, complete with an introductory narration right out of a Richard Attenborough nature documentary. This was fun, and I would love to read a monthly S.H.I.E.L.D. comics this delightfully offbeat. I'm giving this a buy it. Prophetica, Prophecy, One, The Procession. That's a lot of peas. Self-published. I know. Prophetica is a planned miniseries of standalone stories which, together, will document the history of a fictional religion on a planet not so different from our own. The series will explore this world's culture and inhabitants through the lens of the religion as it grows and changes over the course of centuries, and each issue focuses on one prophecy from the religion's holy text, the Prophetica. In this issue, we learn of an ancient barbaric ritual that a young girl with a long-held secret threatens to put a stop to for good. Will the prophecy come true? Will civilization end? Or have they been conducting this brutal ritual over and over and over for nothing? We were contacted by Prophetica's writer, Vince 12, an Omaha native, who I later found out was the son of Otis 12. Oh, is that why he called himself Vince 12? Yeah, That's it's amazing. so cool. Okay, Otis 12 was a local uh, Z92 local radio, radio DJ. DJ. Yeah. Uh, and he's a writer. He's a very talented dude. So Vince sent us the first issue of his bizarre new series. Full disclosure here, it features art by our good friend Tim Mayer. And I normally try to avoid reviewing books put out by my pals for the sake of journalistic integrity. However, Vince and Tim are taking a page from the Private Eye playbook and selling their new project using the pay-what-you-want digital model. So if you feel like checking out the book for free, go for it. If you love it, do the right thing, though. 
throw them some virtual cash. As for me, I loved it. It's a really compelling examination of how dangerous blind faith can be focused through the lens of Tim's otherworldly art. You literally have nothing to lose. Get to profeti.ca and buy it. We'll throw that in the notes for the show, too. Yeah. Voltron from the ashes. Number one from Dynamite. Dynamite took a good hard look at Voltron, realized that all the robots were different colors and thought to themselves, well, who writes about different colored super powered people in space? They went, oh, yeah, Colin Bunn. He does that. He writes this Voltron adventure, which reminds me just how annoying the cartoon really was. Still, you have to give the guy credit for doing his homework and playing by the Voltron rules. The mediocre art here certainly didn't help his cause, though. I would love to read a badass Voltron story that reinvents this franchise. This is not it. I'm giving it a leave it. Raising Dion, number one, self-published. I talked about Raising Dion on last week's show, and I finally had the chance to sit down and read the comic from writer-director Dennis Liu and artist Jason Piperberg. This is a great companion to the short film we raved about last week. Lou and Piperberg flesh out the story of Dion's soon-to-be parents, Nicole, and the nearly dearly departed Mark. No spoilers, she's a single mom in the future. The dialogue is a little cheesy, but it's a great story, and Piperberg's art is really wonderful. Lou is giving the issue away for free digitally through Indie Planet, but sales of the print version will fund future issues So like with Prophetica, you have nothing to lose here. But if you love it, support this kind of work. It deserves it. Buy it. Form Blazing Sword! That is your ludicrous speed round. And Form Blazing Sword is the sound of Voltron, you guessed it, forming his blazing sword. Oh. Yeah, which sounds kind of perverted. Now, join together into a super robot and head over to the This Week's Comics section of the THN forums, where all you nerds can tell us about all the new comics you read this week. Well, you can cry me a river, cry me a river, I cried a river over you. With the news of Doomed being cancelled, our buddy Doomsday has had a pretty rough week. It was just moments ago his good friend Toyman called us to come drag his drunk ass out of Warrior's Bar. Took a little coaxing, but Matt and I drug the big galoot back to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to sober up while we talk about next week's comics. Matt, help me take Doomsday's mind off his troubles and tell me what you're excited to read next week. Next week, I'm excited for Wild's End, The Enemy Within, number one from Boom, written by Dan Abnett with art by INJ Colbard. Here's what's to love about it. The first Wild's End miniseries kept us in constant suspense with its unlikely mashup of War of the Worlds and The Wind in the Willows. We're holding our collective breaths once again. As author Dan Abnett and illustrator INJ Colbard, I always want to say Colbrad, are set to play with the paranoia and enemy amongst us conspiracy theories prevalent in stories we love like Invasion of the Body Snatchers and The X-Files. Yada, yada, yada. What it is, is basically this anthropomorphic story that takes place after the first Wild's End, which was wonderful. One of the best miniseries I read last year where aliens came and attacked this little pre-World War II English village that's full of talking animals. (laughs) It was fantastic. Way better than it had any right to be, and I cannot wait to see where this series goes. Joe, what are you excited for next week? 
I hate boom solicits. I know they're so dumb. They're so dumb. What, what's to love? Yeah. Why we're excited. <laughs> Next week, my pick is Power Cubed number one from Dark Horse, written and drawn by Aaron Lapresti. Yeah, I thought it was Power Cubed. I didn't know. Solicit. What if you had a piece of technology that created anything you could possibly want and all you had to do was imagine it? What would you wish for? For Kenny Loggins, his <laughs> for Kenny Logan. Okay. His first like, wish. He still wants to be relevant. <laughs> for Kenny Logan, his first wish is to survive his 18th birthday. His unique matter reinterpreting device has attracted the attention of a bumbling Nazi scientist with plans for world domination and an elite government agent who is hell bent on acquiring the device to stop an alien invasion at any cost. Look, I'm going to get real with you guys for a second. Let's get real. Next week. It's a light week. Yeah, it is pretty light. I noticed that. There too. is nothing coming out next week. And so that gives you a chance to check out some things that you might normally overlook. For me, it's power cubed. I like Aaron Lepresti a lot. Me too. I'm not sure he's sold me on his writing skills based on his past works, but I'm willing to give it a try. Looks like a fun kind of sci-fi adventure sort of thing, and I'm into that, so I'm going to give it a look. The THN Trade of the Week goes to the Hellboy 100 Project hardcover and trade paperback. Just depends what kind you want. Comes from Dark Horse. It's 120 pages for $24.99 for the hardcover, $12.99 for the softcover, both of which are a steal. Here's your solicit. In the now grand tradition of Hero Initiative's previous and wildly successful 100 project books, Mike McNola's signature creation comes to the fore. All of Hero's original covers to Hellboy and the BPRD 1952 number one are on display in this great book with art by John Cassidy, Francis Manipal, Todd Nauk, Wils Portacio, Eric Powell, Paolo Rivera, Bill Sinkevich, and of course, Mike McNola. This book will never be reprinted and all proceeds go to the hero initiative and comic book creators in medical and financial need. If you don't buy it, you are a jerk. So basically what the 100 project is, is they'll pick a, a milestone issue, like a number one or an anniversary issue. I think they did it with ultimate Spider-Man number 100 and they will have 100 different creators draw original covers and the hero project books collect them. And then the proceeds go to charity to the hero initiative. Super. It's cool. an amazing cause. Very cool. And if you love comics and if you appreciate the work of comics forefathers, then get out 12 bucks or 25 bucks and buy this damn book. There you go. After explaining to Doomsday that he's a perfectly good Superman nemesis and it was DC editorial that screwed him up, we got him to settle down and agree to cut back on his drinking. Now to talk him out of raising the entire city of Burbank. That's going to be tougher. While we do that, you should head over to the THN forums and let us know what you're excited to read next week. It seems Joey got lucky this week. I'm rolling my travel rig, so no wrapping for this month. But... We do have an exciting addition to our Comic Pushers segment. Before we get there, though, Joey, we got some comic product to sling. Hells yeah, we do. This month, one of Brooklyn's most famous junkie skeezers, Anthony, currently from Brooklyn, yeah. sent an MP3 to the Comic Pushers. Take it away, Tony. What's up, nerds? Anthony, currently from Brooklyn here. Uh, <laughs> and at the moment, I'm reading through Chris Claremont's original X-Men run, and it's great. 
so here, so I've already read the Dark Phoenix Saga. I've read Age of Apocalypse, and I've read the Astonishing X Men by Joss Whedon. But I've read very little else concerning the X-Men. So my question for you is, are there any other X-Men stories, uh, minis, or X-Family books that you think are must-reads? That's it. Thanks, guys. Bye. This is fantastic. This is a big question, it's Anthony. A big question. So we're going to narrow it down to a couple, otherwise we're going to talk about this for the next hour and a half. Yo, you want to go first? You want me to take one? You go ahead. I would tell you, since you're reading the Claremont stuff, after that, I mean, there's still plenty of great stuff that happened after that. It goes into the, like, we get Jim Lee and we get guys like Fabian Nicesia and Wills Portacio on the books and stuff. And it, excellent, excellent stuff. Please read all of it. But some of the most exciting stuff for me was when the original X-Men, Cyclops, Marvel Girl, Angel, Beast, and Iceman broke off and formed X-Factor. And it was originally written by Bob Layton, who I just adore. And this was when Bob Layton was doing some very serious stuff. He's kind of known for funny comics, but this was very serious in tone. And Butch Geis was drawing it to begin with. Later on, Walt Simonson came onto the title. Peter David came onto the title. And that... I don't know if Bob Layton was known for very funny comics. Well, I mean, he, he was like his Hercules and stuff. And even like he, the Iron he's Man He's most he famous for his long run on Iron Man. Probably. But this series was so good and held up so well and really returned the focus to the original X-Men, whereas Wolverine and Rogue and Gambit and those guys were all getting super popular in the other books. This was a chance for the older X-Men to shine. I loved X-Factor all the way up into the 90s. I loved it. I would urge you to read those. Joe. And I jumped on the very first issue of X-Factor I ever read was number 71, which was the first issue of Peter David's run, which completely changed the team from what it had been. And they were a government-sanctioned, not a hit squad, but they were like a government-sanctioned mutant peacekeeping force. Right. And Larry Stroman drew that book. Oh, I loved him so much. (laughs) It's so good. My first exposure to the X-Men for real, like in comic form, didn't come until X-Men number one by Jim Lee. So my real heyday getting into those books was that first year and on, especially about a year after Jim Lee left the book and it started getting into these big, well, they'd already done these kind of crossovers in the past, like Extinction Agenda. But my first exposure to a lot of the world of the X-Men beyond the actual X-Men books was the Executioner's song, Crossover. Where uh, it went in between X Factor, X Force, yeah, uh, Uncanny X Men, and X Men. It had the uh, art by Young Jay Lee, Brandon Peterson, one of the Kuberts, I think, probably. I'm pretty sure, probably both the Kuberts. Oh, Greg Capullo was drawing X Force at the time. That's right. And so the the people that were doing these those books back then are enormous superstars now, and it was just. Uh, bear in mind, we're looking back at this. Stuff through rose-colored glasses. I don't know how well it holds up. But I remember loving the X-Books back in the early to mid-90s. And from there, I jumped from from reading it hodgepodge here and there to being a hardcore monthly collector of Uncanny X-Men when Joe Madureira took over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I just love that era. And it's cheesy and it's dated and it's full of the 90s excess that we make fun of, but I loved it. Super fun stuff, definitely. 
What about some books that are not, you know, X-Men proper? You mentioned X-Factor, which is great. I would throw Excalibur out there. I would definitely, if you're liking the Claremont stuff that he did in X-Men, Excalibur kind of rolls nicely out of that with sort of a European contingent of X people. You've got Brian Braddock, Captain Britain, of course. You've got Megan, his like shape-changing fairy girlfriend. I know it sounds ridiculous. You have Phoenix, which is Rachel, not Jean. This is... He's read Days of Future Past. He knows who that is. Okay, okay. But not everybody that's listening does. So, daughter from the future. (laughs) It's kind of confusing. Daughter of Cyclops and Jean Grey from an alternate future. Yes. (laughs) And then... Kitty Pride in her old costume, which I still love so much, and Nightcrawler, one of my favorite X-Men, and they just go on sort of these wacky time-traveling magic expeditions into reality and different realities where they meet like different versions of X characters. Excalibur was wonderful. Alan Davis drew it. It was beautiful stuff back in the 80s. I remember that was the first time I encountered Alan Davis, I think, when I picked up Excalibur. And sure. it just blew me away. Loved that book. If you hit up later issues of Excalibur, Warren Ellis does a run on the book that's very highly regarded. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm going to toss Generation X out there. Yeah. At least for the first couple years, two or three years, Chris Boccolo did the art for, I think, the first 25 issues. I think that's right. Scott Lobdell wrote it, and Scott Lobdell, we give him a lot of crap now, but back then, he was enormously popular. And I loved his work. You're definitely safe to jump off after both those guys leave the book. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Like after, uh, I don't remember at what point, but it's somewhere in the, in the late twenties or early thirties issue wise. Labdell leaves. Larry Hama takes over. Just bounce. Yeah. That was (laughs) back when Larry Hama was handed every job that nobody wanted. They were like, who is going to follow up this creative team? Larry Hammond went, I'll do it. (laughs) All right, Larry. Sure. Uh, Later on, a very young Jay Farber took over Generation X. That was pretty good. I remember that. Uh, That book had a lot of big name creators on it, too. Terry Dodson worked on it for a while. But really, the first 25 issues are like pure X-Men gold. Yeah. Excellent. No pun intended, but great stuff. (laughs) I'm going to stop saying excellent. Well, that's just a sampling, Anthony. There are obviously thousands and thousands and thousands of X books, and we could do this all day. Right. We'll go to the forums and we'll start posting a bunch of stuff there. I'd want you guys to help Anthony out, too. I know you've all got some X stories that he would love to read. Go to the forums. Help this guy out. Comic pushers section. Anthony, always good to hear from you. We love shoveling X titles down your throat, buddy. And we hope you love these, but we want to hear from you specifically. Read some of these. Go to the forums. Go to Comic Pushers. Tell us what you thought. We need to hear back from you guys. If you're looking for some new, highly addictive reads to mainline straight into your nerdy dome, you can head over to the Comic Pushers section of the THN forums, just like Matt said. Or send an MP3 to it at nerd at gmail.com. Or give us a call. 402-819-4894. Before we move on, however, it is my dubious pleasure <laughs> to welcome aboard our newest love slave who works the sales side of the comic pushers empire. Ladies and gentle nerds, I give you the Orca. Well, hello there. This is the Orca. And welcome to my new little cell in the THN Love Slave Dungeon. It's dark in here, and it smells like moldy salt. 
but the Wi-Fi is surprisingly strong, and the big guy in the gimp mask has a peck on him like a billy club. I'm here for as long as they'll have me to talk about the business side of comics. Like most good nerds, I buy my funny books to read, not as investments. I was always aware that the older books had some monetary value, but by definition, an investment is something that earns you money. Buying stock entitles you to a share of the company's profits. Buying an apartment building allows you to collect rent. But when people can't afford or understand traditional investments, they tend to label hobbies as investments. They're not. Buying comics in hopes of selling them later for a profit is pure speculation. And while it can be done, it's a fool's game that I want no part of. What I do want a part of is those fools' money. We're going to call this new segment, Take the Money and Run. And my goal is to share with you the comics that you probably already have in your long boxes that for whatever reason are fetching a pretty penny onto eBay. And if you act fast, because this will go stale in a hurry, you might be able to fund your little Wednesday addiction with books that, let's be honest, you probably never read again anyway. If you get really good like I have, you can fund your comic purchases and have enough left over to afford some fine recreational drugs. Spec markets are usually short-lived, four to seven years, and we're more than halfway through this one. But there's still some meat on this bone, and most of it is in upcoming movies. One would think that the best time to sell would be after the movie is a hit, but that's not usually the case. For second tier and supporting characters, it's when the role is cast. Look at X-Men number 8 from the early 1990s Jim Lee run, when they was printing hundreds of thousands of each issue. Number 8 had the first appearance of Belladonna, not the porn star. Her first appearance is in Girl Next Backdoor, volume 19. A classic in its own right. But Marvel's Belladonna is going to be Channing Tatum's b- in the Gambit movie. News like that since this overproduced funny book from quarter bins to $15 damn near overnight. We probably all got this one, so take the money and run. Because this movie is going to suck. And even if it don't, no one's going to give a drippy shit about her once they cast the villain and the rubes move on to overpaying for his first appearance. Next up, how about something a little more recent? We Can Never Go Home Number 1 is the latest small press comic to really heat up. But the fickle suckers we're going to feed off do this all the time. They jump on board the hype train, ride it about as long as a subway ride, then switch trains. This is a cool story, but there are lots of cool stories. And one of the orcas rules that if I can sell the issue, buy the trade, and still have enough for two weeks worth of new books... I'm going to do just that. The first print of issue one is going for between 75 and 100 bucks on a regular basis, especially if you have a near mint copy. Black Mask had some issues with the cardstock used for the cover, so some of these have spine damage. Rubes get all hanky about spine damage, which ups the premium on good copies. If you want, sell your near mint copy, buy a beat up fine copy if you love the story so much, and pocket the difference. I don't really care how low the print run is on this. It's not the next Walking Dead. Take the money and run. Okay, next up is an easy one. Batman number 357. If you've been collecting for any real length of time, you probably have this one. It's the first appearance of both Jason Todd and Killer Croc. Croc's a C-lister. 
and Todd's always been kind of an asshole. A silly internet rumor is that the new Joker, Jared Leto, is Jason Todd. Even if this is true, the movie, Suicide Squad, is going to be pure cheese. If the rumor is bullshit like I think it is, then this issue will go back to being yesterday's news. But right now, as of this recording, the last ungraded copy in near-mint condition sold for $200. The sucker who paid that much thinks that this is the next New Mutants 98. To me, it means a whole weekend of Scandinavian bath salts and a just-past-her-prime-call girl. Take the money and run. If they'll have me back next month, I'll dive into something even more controversial. Why you should sell every issue of The Walking Dead, issues 1 through 99. Don't get your panties in a twist. I'll explain why. Until then, kiss kiss nerds. Sort of break it, break it down like this. And that is it for the Matt in Canada episode of THN. If you dig podcasts that routinely threaten entire editorial staffs, you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. And while you're there, please leave us some star ratings, some reviews, little thumbs up, or even little hearts, because it helps us to connect with other potential listeners. I wanted to title this episode, Welcome to THN, the Orca, dot, dot, dot. Hope you survived the experience. <laughs> To kind of tie into the whole X-Men conversation. Let's do it. Let's do it. It's too long. You can't have a title that long, man. <laughs> Thanks to all of our donors. And if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And if you want to become a sustaining member, it's as easy as clicking the Make This Donation monthly box. And as little as a dollar a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with the subject line sponsorship. While you're there, you can find links to all of our contact info via Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Skype, Tumblr, where we post our weekly outtakes, and the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. And don't forget, go sign up for the THN forums. It's your little virtual piece of Ziggurat where you can discuss this week's show. You can ask us to review your self-published comics. You can read about my wife making fun of my THN fantasy football team, or you can learn more about the segments on our show and how you can be a part of them. And of course, you can always just rap about comics. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can follow our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Baum's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the occasional love slave, Ryan Hebrews Mount, who acted as Teachin's roving reporter last weekend at the Cincinnati Comic-Con in Cincinnati. It's the Cincy oh, Comic-Con. At the Cincy Comic-Con in Cincinnati. Word to you, Hebrews. Look for Ryan's convention report on the THN site. Soon! Until next oh, hey. time! Oh, hey. And also... Be uh, on the lookout for the long-awaited return of Comics on the Rocks by Matt's very own baby cousin, Chris Kelly. Cousin Chris's Comics on the Rocks. I love it. It's back. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics because your retailer might just be forced to move his shop to Windsor if you don't. It's just across the border. And let me tell you, that exchange rate. Woohoo! This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. I keep telling you, it's not that great. Oh, please. Oh, please.